This world is very unstable, but this word is very stable. When everything else passes away, this word is going to be here, and we want to look to that word this morning. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 10. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. Every time I read this verse, I think about that experience I had in Malawi, Africa, where a man came in to the crusade and had a hand that was withered. It was pulled in like this, and he couldn't use it. He'd had numerous surgeries, and some of the surgeries had made it even worse, and it was pulled back in the middle of that service and a healing service. As people were being healed. I watched that man stretch his arm out for the very first time. It was amazing. How many of you know God is still a healer? These are not just stories in the Bible. He's a real God that heals in the 21st century. Matthew 12, 10. There was this man which had a withered hand, and they asked him, this is now they're referring to the Lord, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? They Even the non-believers anticipated him healing this man. They asked him to sort of, sort of, you know, head it off at the gulf, so to speak that they might accuse him. And he, referring to Jesus, said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? He asked them this question. Nobody could deny it. They'd had part of their flock fall in an empty well. They They wouldn't have waited, you know, for a different day. They would have rescued it. So then he says in verse 12, How much then is a man better than a sheep wherefore it is lawful to do well on the sabbath days in other words it's always lawful to do good on the sabbath days then saith he to the man stretch forth thine hand and he stretched it forth and it was restored whole like as the other amen what a great god we serve I want to speak this morning on this subject, the merger of law and mercy. The merger of law and mercy. Would you help me pray? Lord, we're thankful to be in your house. Thankful for your presence that we already feel. Thankful, God, that we can sit in heavenly places. We ask you, Lord, you will know in our hearts and minds to receive your word. Thank you for this Bible, Lord, that leads us and guides us. Let it change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. I have uh, never uh, been able to uh, make very much money, um, if any, in the stock market. And if you have been able to, then maybe we could have a conversation after service this morning. I have been told, though, that if you uh, anticipate mergers, that you can make uh, money if you buy ahead of the merger and then cash out. Uh, after the merger. My luck, if I tried to do that, uh, they would cancel the merger. But uh, at the risk of insider trading laws being violated, I would like to share with you some rumors that I have heard of mergers that may be beneficial to your portfolio. And I just give this to you today free of charge. Um, I have heard that there's a possible merger between uh, Hale Business Systems, Mary Kay Cosmetics, Fuller Brush and the W.R. Grace Company, and the name of that company will then be Hail Mary Fuller Grace. (laughs) 
Also, uh, Polygram Records, Warner Brothers, and Zesta Crackers are going to join forces, and they'll be known as Poly Warner Cracker. Not as many people got that one. FedEx is expected to join its major competitor, UPS, and then they'll be known as Fed Up. That one did a little better. This is also how our congregation feels when I unleash another lame joke. But suffice it to say that the mergers of companies or testaments, as it were, uh, must be completed correctly for them to be uh, sustainable. And my experience of being exposed to Christianity for 58 years, in particular the Pentecostal experience, is that people normally go from one extreme to the next. Uh, they go from all law uh, and everything is law and order, uh, or they're over here with all mercy. And really, the, the Word of God makes it clear, and this is probably why there's not as many people that, that live with the revelation of this merger, is that it's hard to find the balance. But yet the Word of God gives us uh, careful guidance. Uh, drawing from my experience in the uh, legal field, and in particular, uh, some of the classes that we had that I felt like opened up my eyes to some things in Scripture. I had already uh, received two different bachelor's degrees from uh, seminary schools before I went to law school. So when I went to law school and they would talk about different things as it involved legal principles, it was easy for me to run those back through the paradigm of Scripture because that's what I had uh, been exposed to. And one of the things that they taught us when we uh, had a class that's called Wills and Trusts is they taught us about something called a codicil. A codicil is a, is a, a, a later testamentary instrument that amends, alters, or modifies a previously executed will. A codicil must be executed with the same testamentary formalities as a will. And if the testator has decided to add heirs to benefit from the final disposition of assets, then they do have to create uh, something that is called a reference form. They don't have to create an entirely new will, but you do have to reference a codicil or a document that will come into being that then will be a part of that original will. Now that's a useful tool because wills are very fluid and they often change. If you, you know, don't buy uh, your grandmother a Christmas gift, she may remove you from the will on December 26th. And so wills are very fluid uh, and they move very frequently. Well, one of the things that we know from looking at the Word of God is that it is made up of two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You've heard the saying, last will and testament, so you understand that a testament is similar to a will. That's the great thing about the Word of God, is that there is a will in the Word of God that gives you and I a whole bunch of good stuff. We're the heirs. In fact, when Paul was explaining this concept in Romans 8, he said we are joint heirs with Christ, which is better than just being the sons of God, because if you're a son, you may have a future interest. But when you're a joint heir, you have a present interest. 
We're thankful that heaven is going to be awesome for all of us. And we got streets of gold and mansions and all of that. But ladies and gentlemen, this book has a whole bunch of really cool stuff for you and I today. You just got to read the will. There's blessings. There's goodness. What a mighty God we serve. And he has given it for you and I. I got so excited in law school one time when we were studying this deal. And they were talking about wills and trusts. And I, I heard the teacher say this. I'll never forget it. I almost shouted hallelujah right in the middle of the law school. The teacher was explaining the reading of the will and says that whenever uh, the testator, which is the person who originally makes the, the last will and testament, when he passes or she passes, then the, the executor has to bring everybody together. Usually it's a lawyer. And they bring the heirs together. And, and the, the professor was saying <laughs> that it's important that it not just be written, but it must be declared in the presence of the heirs or the beneficiaries. And when he said that, I just felt goosebumps go all up and down the back of my spine. Because when we declare the Word of God in the hearing of the heirs, the beneficiaries, you and me, we are following formal contract and will law that says you've got to declare it. Oh, my friend, that's why every day you ought to get up and you ought to have a list of the promises of God on your mirror in your bathroom. And you ought to declare every day. God said, I'm going to make you the head and not the tail. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. All the promises of God are mine and amen. You've got to declare the promises of God even in your own hearing. I'm an heir, hallelujah, and declare what those promises are. Now, when we look at this Old Testament and New Testament, we see really that there is a merger of law and mercy. There's no doubt that the New Testament has a different tone to it than the Old Testament. And this dichotomy often raises questions as to how the same God could have been the author of both Testaments, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It appears that uh, the Old Testament is more focused on the law and the New Testament seems to be more focused on forgiveness and mercy. And this, uh, this appearance of something contrasting was not just uh, something that we see in this modern day era. It was also something that drew questions from the Pharisees. Uh, during the ministry of Jesus. Now, they did not have the luxury that you and I have today in terms of having the New Testament in our possession, but they did know the law, and they saw from the ministry of Jesus that his ministry was based more on mercy than on law. And so they were well-educated in the law. They could not find this middle ground. They didn't understand the merger of law and mercy, so they just saw Jesus as some sort of a, a heretic because... He was bringing something that was different than what they knew in the law. What you don't understand, and maybe it's because we have the benefit of hindsight, but the Old Testament has many foreshadows of the New Testament salvation plan and the foundation for all that Jesus taught was in the law. The Old Testament, through the tabernacle plan, gave types and shadows of New Testament teaching which reveals a closer connection than what maybe one would just see with just a cursory glance. When you really examine the Old Testament, you'll see that it references the New Testament. 
And if I can use that maybe to expound upon that by looking at it from a legal standpoint, the New Testament reveals a codicil, as it were. It's not a new will. It doesn't make the old will void and of none effect. But it is referenced in. The New Testament incorporates the formalities and the teachings of the original Testament. Jesus said this, These words which I speak unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. Jesus did not come to replace the law of Moses. He came to fulfill the law of Moses. Luke 24, 44 declares that. But Paul also says in the book of Acts chapter 24 and verse 14 that he believed all things that were written in the law and in the prophets. So Jesus, Paul, and even the early church leaders were committed to the law. But they were integrating that law with mercy. And this is what Jesus was teaching with the man that had a withered hand. He was healed on the Sabbath. Mercy was meant to supplement the law. It was not to replace it. Jesus didn't say, oh, it's the Sabbath. Well, I guess we can't heal you today. That's not what he said. He explained to them the law more perfectly. He said to them, well, doesn't the Sabbath, you know, allow you to do good? Well, yeah. Well, if you had a sheep, would you not, you know, rescue it? Well, yeah. Well, how much more so a man that needs help? Nobody could say anything about it. They went away shaking their heads because the Lord was showing them that there's more than just the letter of the law. The Pharisees knew the letter of the law. But Jesus was introducing them to the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is woven with mercy. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for the law. I'm so thankful for the Old Testament. But I'm thankful for the New Testament, hallelujah, that expounds upon the laws of the Old Testament and lets us know that we serve a God that is full of mercy and grace and forgiveness. What a good God we serve. In addition to these codicil laws, there are laws to govern the incorporation of an additional document into the will. And in Florida, as in most states, an extrinsic document, which means a document that was not present at the time the will was executed, it can be incorporated into the will by reference so that it's considered part of the will. So your original will can reference something that may not be there and actually in written form at the time of its original execution, but the intent is there. So you can say, and at the time of death, all the personal property that will go to Cousin Ernie will be listed on a separate sheet, blah, 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 blah. So you can reference it to show that there's an intent for this new document to be a part of the original will. So when that's incorporated, it's incorporated by referring to it. And it has to sufficiently describe the writing that it must manifest an intent to incorporate. And the reason they have that is it's a safeguard against a whole bunch of independent documents being added later to the original will. That's why you and I can't just add to the Word of God. 
There's, there are some books that are out there uh, in Christianity that add to the Word of God and say, here's the lost gospel of this or the lost gospel of that, or here's what Joseph Smith found up in uh, you know upstate New York in the plates that Moroni... You can't add to the Word of God unless the Word of God references this. That's a safeguard so that you and I are not always creating new Bibles. That's not hard to understand, is it? So that's a safeguard. But if it's referenced, oh, hallelujah, then that lets us know that there's more to come. The Old Testament, once again, fulfills this legal requirement in the laws of God because the Old Testament makes numerous references to the Messiah that would come. More than 35 times we find His name mentioned prophetically in the Old Testament. The name Yahshua was the Hebrew name that was often translated in the Old Testament as salvation. Yahshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Thus we know that Jesus is salvation. That's why Acts 4.12 said there's no other name. Because only the name of Jesus is salvation. You say, I want to know how to be saved. you got to have the name of Jesus. That's why the Bible said one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that He is Lord. It's not in any other name. It's all in the name of Jesus. Moses said this, The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. Yahshua. Moses, the one who the law was given to, and is my God, and I will prepare Him an habitation. My, I love this part. My Father's God... And I will exalt him. He's saying this is not just something for my generation. This is also something that my father believed. This is the same God, hallelujah, that was with my forefathers and is going to be with our children and our children's children. Oh, hallelujah. It's all one God and his name is Jesus. The prophet Isaiah said it this way. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation, Yahshua. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation, Yahshua. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation, Yahshua. And in that day shall you say, praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His doings among the people. Make mention that His name, His name, this is coming from Isaiah in the Old Testament, that His name is exalted. Isaiah 12, 1 through 4. So Isaiah foretold of His birth and the nature of His existence. For unto us a child is born. Oh, hallelujah. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We know that from Isaiah 9, 6. But Isaiah said, a child is born. Meaning that he would be flesh. A child is born. But then he also says, a son is given. That means that he would also be deity. So the essence of Jesus, in that He is both God and man, is an example of the merger of law and mercy. The very fact that two testaments come together in your word, in the Holy Bible, that you hold in your hands, is an example of the merger of law and mercy. 
But even the essence of who Jesus is, is an example of the merger of law and mercy. It was foretold Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 This is now referencing from the Old Testament through Old Testament prophecies that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. It was foretold that Jesus would be a descendant of David. Isaiah 11.1 Jesus would be a miracle worker. Isaiah 61 Jesus would present himself as king riding on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 Jesus would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 41 and Zechariah 11 Jesus would be crucified. Isaiah 53, watch this, Jesus would first present himself as king in 1,700 and 1,703, 880 days from the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem. You can read about that in Daniel 9, 25 through 27. The odds are greater than 1 in 100 billion. For these prophecies of Jesus to be accidentally fulfilled. If you have a hard time seeing that Jesus is the Messiah from the Old Testament prophecies, then you are deliberately having a hard time seeing that Jesus is the Messiah. You can't read the Old Testament without knowing that Jesus was the Messiah. I think it's safe to say that the Old Testament incorporated the message of the New Testament. The New Testament revealed it, but the Old Testament foretold it. One of the interesting aspects to the legality of incorporating by reference in codicil formation is the rule that the secondary document, with some exceptions, be in existence at the time the will was executed. It may not be present at the time the will is executed, but it must be in existence at least by the fact that it is intentional. The Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13.8 Which lets me know that before there was a law, there was mercy from the foundation of the world. Even before mankind had a chance to sin, there was a God that had a redemption plan that was in place. Oh, somebody said, I'm just an Old Testament guy. Well, guess what? You're going to find a lot of mercy in the Old Testament. Somebody said, I'm just a New Testament guy. Where you're going to find a lot of law in the New Testament. Because Jesus Christ embodied both. And what a merciful God He was. That before you ever sinned, He anticipated that there would be a redemptive plan for you and for me. The plan of salvation and the plan of redemption were in existence from the very beginning. The New Testament revealed it, but the Old Testament foretold it. This is why the ministry of Jesus is so laced with mercy and forgiveness. God kept the laws of establishing an inheritance. He didn't violate anything from the Old Testament. Fulfilled all of it. Paul says the same thing in Acts. They fulfilled it. It wasn't to replace it, but it was to expand it to the point that mankind would have understanding. Just as the Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen, had to incorporate the New Testament. The New Testament had to reference our present day. 
this is where it gets exciting. Because this is not just some document that's thousands of years old that has no relevance to where you and I are today. Oh, my friend, just as the Old Testament foretold that Jesus would be the Messiah of the New Testament. The New Testament reveals the mercy and love of God and then allows it by reference to be expanded to the generation that you and I are a part of. Look at what Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 says. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I don't want you to forget those two words. Apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And in the verses that immediately precede that we read about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Oh, my friend, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, it was a merger of law and mercy. I can just picture Peter standing up there with the eleven and preaching this anointed message. Luke was over there busy taking notes so he could put it to pen and share it with us 2,000 years later. The message was so powerful that strangers felt the conviction of the Holy Ghost. People from other countries and languages, people that were on vacation in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, a time of celebration. They were so convicted and they were so convinced that they said to Peter, what must we do to be saved? Peter then lays out the blueprint for what it takes to be saved. Three steps. He preaches to the crowd in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Immediately these people begin to turn their hearts to God. No doubt many of them begin to fall in the streets and to repent on the spot. The power of God's presence was so strong that neither man or woman even attempted to argue or to scoff or to repudiate anything that Peter had said. They immediately began to call upon the Lord. And then Peter said, but this promise is not just for you, but it's for your children. Here we go now. He's referencing a future generation. For it's for your children and all that are far off. Turn to your neighbor and look at your neighbor and say, mm, You know he was a far off. She was a far off. But it's as many as the Lord our God shall call. You say, oh, pastor, I don't even deserve to be in the presence of God today. I don't either. But I'm so thankful that the New Testament incorporated. Paul said we were a wild olive branch that was grafted in. That you and I can be joint heirs. And that we can be a part of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. It's for you and you and everybody. Whosoever will. Oh, the Holy Ghost began to fall. The Bible lets us know that at least 3,000 of them were spirit-filled. They were all baptized. You talk about revival. Oh, revival in a single setting. In a hostile environment. The church age is launched. 
in a blaze of fire. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe it's the same thing today. I believe this world is shaping up for the second coming of the Lord. You can look all around, but the Bible said, let not your hearts be troubled. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. This is the day of revival. This is the day of crusade. This is the day of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. God's not in heaven wringing His hands, wondering what He's going to do on earth. God knows what the answer is. It's the merger of law and mercy coming together with the outpouring of the Spirit of God. What is this apostolic doctrine? The apostles' doctrine that launched it. It is repentance. It's baptism in Jesus' name. And the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, that doctrine is the merger of law and mercy. First, let's examine it by the law. Repentance is based on the law. We must have our sins forgiven for us to be in fellowship with God. It was necessary in the Old Testament. And it's necessary in the New Testament. Your sins must be forgiven. It's a part of the apostles' doctrine in the New Testament. There is something that is mandated by that. It's not optional. It's not if you feel like it. You've got to repent of your sins. And in the Old Testament, they had to repent of their sins. They could not get into the presence of God until they went by that altar of sacrifice. The children of Israel came out of Egypt 400 years. They're wandering around and finally they're able to take possession of the promised land after 40 years. But you'll see a path that they journeyed through. And there was that tabernacle that was in the wilderness that represented the presence of God. But before they could get into it, the priest would have to go past that altar of repentance and go past that labor of water. There is an essence of repenting of your sins that is necessary, that makes it a part of the Old Testament law. There's also a part of Jesus named baptism. It's not just semantics. It's not just, you know, something that you oneness Pentecostals are hung up over. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not optional. It's not something that you can if you want to be, but you can do something else. No, it's the authority of the name of Jesus because Jesus was the embodiment of law and mercy. And He's the only one that has the power in His name. So there's elements of the law that's in repentance and in baptism. And then the Holy Ghost. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost was the merger of law and mercy. You say, how is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost a reflection of the law? Because the Bible said, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The Holy Ghost is not some kind of bonus round. Extended play for good behavior. The Holy Ghost is necessary. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. You've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then the Bible said that fear came upon every soul. I'm talking about in the New Testament when the Holy Ghost was poured out. Fear came upon every soul. 
And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. You can look in the Old Testament and see that fear or that holy reverence that came when God revealed Himself through the outpouring of His Spirit. In the Old Testament, even when the tabernacle would move, the cloud and the fire, there would be this holy reverence that would come. Well, when the Holy Ghost was poured out in the book of Acts, the people, not people that were a part of the apostles following, but people that from all countries, people that were there in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, they recognized the presence of God and there was a holy reverence for it oh my friend I hope we don't ever lose a holy reverence for the things of God you can traffic so often in the presence of God that it becomes second nature to you you can be in the presence of God Sunday and Sunday in and Sunday out Wednesdays Wednesday and Wednesday out crusades and all and we can just get used to people being healed and people being baptized in Jesus name and message in tongues interpretation going forth and never get a holy reverence for the things of God I hope we raise our children with a holy reverence for the things of God we are still a people hallelujah that are able to sit in heavenly places and what a blessing it is I hope we don't ever lose a holy reverence for God. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. That law essence is demonstrated also in our desire to live a righteous and holy lifestyle. That is laced throughout the Apostles' doctrine. Because if you are baptized in His name, you have been forgiven of your sins. And you have been filled with the Spirit of God. There is intrinsic in all of those things a desire to live a righteous life. To live a holy life unto God. You can't tell me you've got the Holy Ghost and you want to live like the devil out there. There's a desire to put some barriers before what you watch and what you listen to. There's some things that you're like, I can't even watch that anymore. I can't handle them taking the name of the Lord in vain because you have a righteous nature with the infilling of the Spirit of God and it calls you out of the world. Oh, that's what He did with the children of Israel. He called them out as a separated people unto Him. There's things you don't love anymore once you get the Holy Ghost. You want to be in the presence of God. You want to be with people that talk about the goodness of God. That's part of that holy lifestyle. It's part of that apostle's doctrine. Oh, but my friend, it's not just the law. The apostle's doctrine was laced with mercy. Let's examine it now in each of those three stages of repentance, baptism, the Holy Ghost outpouring. Repentance is given to us through the sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. That is mercy. The very fact that you and I don't have to bring an oxen in here and use it as a sacrifice is the mercy of God. We don't all have to be in the goat and sheep herding business and bring a bunch of animals in here as a sacrifice. All we have to do is ask. Because Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice. Isaiah foretold He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He foretold about it. And Jesus Christ became the sacrifice so that all you and I have to do is ask. Forgive me. And the Lord forgives you. His forgiveness of you is not based on your merit. 
It's based on obedience that you simply obeyed the word of God and asked him to forgive you. You say, how do we know that that's mercy? Let's look at what the definition of mercy is. Mercy is defined as an act of forgiveness by one who has the power to condemn. It's not mercy unless it's given by one who has the power to condemn. A judge can show you mercy by acquitting you. He can forgive you because he's an officer of the law and he has the power to sentence you or to condemn you. But he chooses not to. And he shows mercy. It's mercy when it comes from one who has the power to condemn you, to sentence you. That's why you've got to get a revelation of who Jesus is. If you don't understand that He was God manifest in the flesh, if you think that Jesus was Jehovah Junior, you'll not understand what I'm teaching to you about today. Because it was God as your Creator that has a right to condemn you for the sins that you have been a part of. But He chooses not to. He shows you mercy. Because He is Jesus. Hallelujah. It's the same. The Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead. That's why Calvary is mercy. Because it was God, our Creator, embodied now in a human flesh, born, and then freely gives up his life you talk about mercy mercy has to come from one who has the authority to condemn if somebody's loaned you money let's say brother richie loaned me a hundred dollars and then he decides that he's going to show me mercy and he says pastor you don't owe me a hundred dollars anymore i forgive you guess what i'm going to say Thank you. <laughs> you may come up to me and say, Pastor, I forgive you. And I say, Thank you. But as far as I know, I don't owe you anything. Sometimes people are very curious. They'll say, Pastor, I just want to come up and let you know that I've had hard feelings towards you. But I prayed about it and God's helped me and I got over it. Praise God. I don't know what to say to people like that. Thankfully it doesn't happen very often. So don't stand in line after church this morning. To... Forgive me of your hard feelings. But real mercy has to come... From somebody that you have a debt to. <laughs> oh, that's why if you know who Jesus is, you can't help but praise Him. You can't help but exalt the name of Jesus. 
Because we had no right to be in His presence today. We had no right for our sins to be forgiven. We had every right for Him to condemn us and to sentence us to a life of shame and guilt and pain. But God says, no, I'm bringing you in. I've got you in the well. I'm showing mercy to you. Woo, hallelujah. The Bible, Old New Testament, is the merger of law and mercy. The revelation of who Jesus is, is the merger of law and mercy. And the Apostles' doctrine is the merger of law and mercy. Baptism in Jesus' name. You know what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2? He said that when you're baptized in Jesus' name that your sins will be remitted. Now there's a difference between your sins being forgiven and being remitted. So when you ask God to forgive you of your sins, He forgives you. But guess what? In the Old Testament, when they brought an ox or lamb or they brought a sacrifice and they were forgiven, they were forgiven as well. But they just kicked the can down the road. It was all leading up to Jesus because He was going to be the perfect sacrifice. Because Jesus not only forgives you of your sins, but when you are buried in baptism in the name of Jesus, your sins are remitted or removed. The record is expunged. In the Old Testament, there was still a record. He was forgiven on this date. He was forgiven on that date. He was forgiven. He was forgiven. He was forgiven. But you push it all the way forward to where we find ourselves at the intersection of law and mercy in the Apostles' Doctrine. And he said, when you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are remitted. They are removed. That means there's no more record that you ever sin. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. You talk about mercy. You talk about love. You talk about grace. Mm. He remits or removes our sins. And then the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is referred to as a gift. It's an act of mercy. The outpouring of the Spirit of God is an act of mercy. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because the Bible says that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin, when it is fully metastasized, bringeth forth death. But guess what conquered death? Romans 8, 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal body. So sin at its nth degree can only bring us to the point of death. But then the Holy Ghost takes over. And it keeps going even after death. Because you've got the resurrection spirit. That's why the Word of God says that, oh, that resurrection spirit that resurrected the body of Jesus when He came out of that grave and said, oh, grave, where's your victory? And death, where is your sting? In other words, sin was ultimately able to cause that, that sting, as it were, that victory of the grave. But the Holy Ghost has 
bust through the grave uh, so that you and I have the hope of heaven. Uh, that one day, oh, hallelujah, in that great getting up morning, we're going to be reunited with our brothers and sisters. Uh, we're going to be in Him forever and ever in heaven. You know why? We've got a resurrected spirit. Oh, when God gives you the Holy Ghost. Yes, it brings you joy day to day. But oh, my friend, it's more than just that. It is the hope of heaven that beyond death, there's still the mercy of God that's in effect. And one day, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Mm, When that trumpet sounds, it's the reading of the will. And the sea has got to give up the dead. And the ground has got to give up the dead. Why? Because there's a declaration. There's a promise for those that have the resurrected spirit. That's why, my friend, you've got to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you're going to go in the rapture, it's the Spirit of God that's going to catch you away. Mm. And then the apostles' doctrine brought mercy. By putting you in the body of Christ and giving you a family of believers. The Bible said, and all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. They didn't even think as individuals anymore. they just so thankful for this holy presence of God. They just brought everything they had. All of our individual kingdoms, we just put them all together, making sure everybody's taken care of. And they continuing, everybody say continuing, daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Oh, my friend, this wasn't a one-time outpouring. This was something that started this massive train of salvation role, this apostle's doctrine. Oh, there's few things as exciting as being a part of a New Testament revival. I can't think of anything more enjoyable, more fulfilling, more encouraging than when the Holy Ghost is poured out. It'll make you leap for joy. We're getting ready in less than two weeks to be out there at that high school football stadium. And I got a text the other day from the mayor. He said, I want to come be a part of it. You know why? Because he's got the Holy Ghost. Something about having the Holy Ghost. You want to be drawn to other people with the Holy Ghost. I said, well, I want you to come and say something on Friday. He said, I'll be there. I'm so excited to be a part of this. Uh, I believe that God's going to pour out His Spirit on the city of Palm Bay. Come on. Come on, apostolic Pentecostals. Those of you that know what it is to experience the merger of law and mercy, you can sing with the voice of triumph. You can shout with the voice of joy. It's this Holy Ghost experience. And it doesn't stop. It just keeps getting better and better. It's for you and your family and your friends and for whosoever will. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Sometimes we get so overwhelmed with the goodness of God that we stop at the promise where the Bible said they continued it's not enough to just be saved my friend you got to continue this continuation is the referencing to this generation that allows us to partake in the inheritance it said ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost somebody say after that 
I'm glad to know there's power after that. It's God that you're serving. It's not some kind of a one-hit wonder. This is power that keeps you every day of your life. This is power that's referenced as a continual demonstration of the love of God. So that every day you can know that His love is chasing you. Oh, we sang that song last night, that celebration of life service from Brother Steve Gailey. I love it. I feel the presence of God every time we sing it. All my life you've been faithful. There's an accumulation effect to the mercy and love of God. I'm thankful that God filled me with the Holy Ghost when I was seven years old. But I'm thankful that for 51 years, He's never failed one day to show His love and His mercy. I'm so thankful that He's been good, 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 good all my life. who'd step out of where they're standing right now and come and join us down here in the front I wonder if you'd just come and lift up your hands maybe you need the Lord to forgive you maybe there's something that's pulling you closer to a relationship with God maybe you've never been filled with the Spirit of God maybe you need the revelation of who Jesus is and I feel mercy intersecting that Old Testament revealing to us He's got a plan for your life you're not just down here marking time you're not just here going through the motions you are here by the divine design of the hand of God oh that's beautiful you lift up your voices lift up your hands begin to worship God right now he's got something for you
You've been so good, Lord. Yeah. 